First you told us only through you could we know God And if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors For you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars Now you're trying to tell us there's nothing we can do You say the world around us belongs fairly to the few But about six billion people no doubt will agree This world is our home not your property, it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would enclose the land all around the earth, our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain. You who've sacrificed the public good for your private gain. With our sweat we built the railroads, built cities on these shores, but because you own the money, you see that it's all yours We laid the phone lines and the pipelines And then right before our eyes You see these things are taxes paid for You now will privatize Privatize the hospitals Privatize the schools Privatize the prisons For all those who break your rules And preparing for the day When all the wells run dry You say you own the very rain That falls down from the sky But it's the commons Our right of birth you who'd own the water all around the earth Our future is your downfall when cut this ball and shame You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain You claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds You claim to own the genomes of every animal that breeds You claim to own our culture and the music that we play And with each song that we download To your coffers we must pay You'd even own my name And you'd say it's for the best Maybe you'll let us on your radio And our songs can pass your test You own country, you own western You say you've given us a choice You may own the airwaves But you'll never own my voice It's the commons, our right of birth The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and the hosts, and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good afternoon, and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for March 11th, 2021. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. Today's program will be in two halves, as we occasionally do with both halves looking at the news in recent weeks. In the second half of the program, we'll discuss a bill in Congress that is getting a lot of attention these days for being the most significant voting rights and democracy improvement bill in more than a half century. That'll be with Aaron Sherb, Director of Legislative Affairs for Common Cause. First, however, we'll be discussing the unfortunate event in Texas three weeks ago when freezing weather for several days damaged the electric grid, causing a few dozen people to actually freeze to death without the usual supply of electricity for heating. We have the opportunity to discuss how the stage was set for this disaster decades ago by the state's fundamentalist resistance to regulation of its electricity grid. Our guest is Greg Pallast, intrepid investigative reporter for the BBC, The Guardian, Democracy Now! and Rolling Stone. Greg was our guest just a few months ago, actually, discussing how voter suppression was countered in the election for U.S. Senate in Georgia in January. But earlier in his career, he worked as an economist and actually wrote the guide to regulation of the power industry for the United Nations. He drew on that background when he exposed the fraud in the collapse of Enron a few decades ago, and when he published a piece last week that explained 
why Texas Electric Grid was not prepared for the predictable weather that it encountered just two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, with deadly, unfortunate consequences. So, let's take a look at how deregulation of the Texas Electric Grid actually killed people a few weeks ago. Greg Pallast, welcome back to Corporations and Democracy. And glad to be with you. And let's instead, we use that nice term, deregulation, <laughs> like they're letting us out to play for recess. No, no, no. Let's call it what it is, decriminalization. It was a crime at one time anywhere in the U.S., and, and that means even Texas, to kill people by shutting off their electricity in the cold. Um, and the way that that was enforced um, is that we had utility, we had regulation of power monopolies throughout the United States, and that gave us the cheapest, best electric system anywhere in the world until we got laid. That is Ken Lay, mm-hmm. L-A-Y, if you remember him from, uh, he was uh, Kenny Boy. He was the number one donor to George W. Bush and the uh, Cheney of uh, campaign, and uh, in return, he got quite pleasured. He was the founder, creator of a company called Enron, uh, which was a criminal enterprise parading as a power company based out of Texas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he sold the snake oil and, and of course, and was adopted once he picked himself a president by Bush, to start removing controls on the price of electricity. And it's not just the price. It's also that in the good old days, as I wrote in my book on regulation, uh, in the good old days, they used to have quality controls to minimum investment. And we had a cost-plus system. Whatever they spent on making the system work through storms, through uh, hurricanes, whatever it takes, uh, that was passed on to the public with a small, what was called a reasonable profit, and that meant a tiny profit. Well, these are unreasonable people. They don't want a reasonable profit. Mm-hmm. They want an unreasonable profit. They want more. And so the only way to do that was to eliminate, decriminalize, shutting off people's power in storms, decriminalize price gouging. All these were actual crimes. And by the way, the other thing that they decriminalize, this goes with it, these power companies, uh, with the Citizens United decision and related, mm-hmm. they were allowed to pleasure the uh, campaign coffers of their uh, power puppets in, uh, in America. And so we ended up with deregulation being adopted first, by the way, followed by California when they had a Republican governor. Uh, and um, they promised, for example, in California that with Regulation, the free market would reduce prices by 20%. It's even in the preamble to the law. Mm-hmm. My parents in San Diego, they saw their bill rise by 323%. Ouch. And then the lights went off. No crisis, no storm, no nothing. Enron started flickering our lights to make money in the so-called free market for electricity, which is nonsense. There's one wire going into your house. They've got you by the bulbs. You have no choice. And the phony choices they give you, sign up with this company, that company, that's all baloney. Mm -hmm. There's certain power. There's one wire into your house. There's uh, a few dozen generators in any state. That's it. Everything else is bogus, middlemen, grifters, and cheaters who are ripping you off. The people of Texas... According to the consultant hired by the state, were overcharged two weeks ago in a single week, overcharged against the law, 
because there is still some regulation by $16 billion, and the Utility Commission, which still somewhat exists in Texas, uh, voted uh, not to bother to refund the money. And you're talking about putting people out of business all over the state. So someone collected that $16 billion. Let's not just talk about the pain. There's some guy who are, some guys popping champagne bottles. Take my word for it. It's pretty amazing because, um, as you say, it didn't used to be this way. There was, um, you know, the private ownership of these utilities, but they were regulated, and you at one time considered that a model. Yes, and that's why I say that's why the United Nations said, well, can you explain the American model of tough regulation where the account books are open in public and everything is public and there's no phony bidding markets, you just cost plus. So I wrote a guide for uh, uh, power systems all over the planet for the United Nations. But I was also doing investigations of criminal activity for the U.S. Justice Department and state governments. And, you know, what I'm finding is a lot of these power companies, especially operating out of Texas, um, like Houston Power and Light, which has gone under many alien aliases, Energy, NRG, uh, Reliant. They've had many aliases, but Houston Power and Light, I mean, these guys, they had a disastrous nuclear plant project, which is, that's the other thing, it, it, one of the reasons why uh, the power system isn't any good is that they spent their money on an insane nuclear plant project, including one in South Texas. By the way, today is the 10th anniversary of the Fukushima meltdown. Oh, today. Okay. Um, yeah. The, yeah, so the guys who built the Texas plant, so dig this, they were going to expand. They started building and spent billions of dollars on a new power plant, a uh, nuclear plant in Texas, completely crazy, called the South Texas Project Expansion. And they hired Tokyo Electric Power to build and run it because they said, oh, that's the safest company in the planet. You don't have to worry about Tokyo Electric Power. Uh, today, ten years ago today, if you didn't know about Tokyo Electric Power, you learned about it. Mm -hmm. um, and now, by the way, one quick thing is why did Texas, why did Texas have people freezing in the dark and getting overcharged by billions? When, you know, the storm didn't arrive in Texas, it went, it, you know, it would go down, down through the Plain States. It was Indeed, freezing right. in everywhere from Minnesota to um, Al Albuquerque um, all the way down. Why Texas? The answer is Texas is the last unregulated state because they have no lines. They literally cut the power lines between Texas and other states. Why? Because you can only regulate... The federal government can only regulate power companies if their lines cross state borders. So Texas literally made itself an island, a power island, electricity island. Now think of that. It's like a cruise ship cutting off all its lifeboats. In other words, so when your system goes down, if you, when the power goes down in Nevada, they get power from California. When the power goes down uh, in Oklahoma, they get power from New Mexico. Because we have two giant grid systems so that systems can support each other when there's a problem. And the rest of the states, you notice the rest of the states had temporary small blackouts, but nothing like Texas. Texas literally had cut its lines so its power pirates could make billions, but it allowed it, there was no safety backup for these systems. 
My Thank understanding you for greed. My understanding yeah. is that recommendations were made by federal regulators, you know, in, in, in decades yeah. ago, for, for what to do to to harden their system against freezing weather, and they just didn't do it. They just ignored yeah, it. Yeah, well, you had a, you, you had the system go down in 2011. Mm-hmm. And they were told by the federal government, again, the federal government doesn't have authority over Texas because um, they, uh, they cut the lines. In fact, Rick Perry, who was governor of Texas, mm-hmm. at that time, um, you know, he just said during the freeze, during the blackout, uh, he said Texans would, would be more than happy to spend more than three days in the dark. I can't, can't make this up. He said they'd be, we'd be more than happy to have more than a three-day blackout to keep the federal government out of our electric system. Now, the particular irony of that is, who was the federal government for four years? Well, um, uh, Perry mm-hmm. was the was Trump's energy secretary. Yes. So Perry was saying, don't trust me. <laughs> and, and you know what? I don't, Rick. Uh, but this is, this is their attitude of the rulers of Texas, because after all, Rick and and Ted can always take their great adventure to Cancun while everyone else is freezing in the dark. Incredible. Let me mention some of your listeners now. That my understanding, there are three electric grids in the contiguous 48 United States. And the two major ones, there's one east of the Rockies, one west of the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, don't, I haven't heard how, how well they're connected. It's not much, apparently, but maybe you can expand on that. But then the third one is Texas. Texas. They just, or most of Texas, I should say. Right. They, few parts Texas is, so like, again, Texas is an island. Mm-hmm. El Paso got, uh, was, they didn't freeze because they gotcha. have a line to Mexico. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. We see, we don't <laughs> mind power emigrating across the border, not just not the people. Mm-hmm. But the, um, uh, yeah, so there's two giant systems. We're all interconnected. You know what? During the storm, California has gone days in this time period with so much extra power because we have wind and solar and hydro mm-hmm. up the wazoo in California, and we didn't have the weather problem. So we literally were giving away the juice. Let me repeat that. California is giving away the juice while Texas is freezing and getting charged through the roof. Mm-hmm. And why? Because there's no way to get it to them. They cut the lines. It's, it's, it's greed run amok. It's um, Rick Perry run amok. It's the Bush family run amok. Uh, and, you know, Ken Lay was, uh, yes, it's true that Ken Lay was finally indicted and convicted for market manipulation, mm-hmm. uh, who had a sense enough to die before he served his time. Maybe. But uh, <laughs> we're still, <laughs> I know, his ghost, his ghost is still flickering your lights in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, and so maybe... That's, you know, the, one of the things that has happened, but Texas has another power problem, people power. And, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about the, the, the terrible vote suppression games being mm-hmm. played in Georgia, and I'm glad you're going to be bringing in Common Cause to talk about the, the new um, voting rights bills being put forward in Congress. Mm-hmm. But in Texas, it's just been raw. Um, People are complaining that Georgia suddenly said you can't get an absentee ballot unless you got an excuse from a doctor. They've already got that little trick in Texas. They've been removing people by the hundreds of thousands off the voter rolls. So the two things go together. That's why I called my guide for the United Nations in regulating power industry is called Democracy and Regulation. And the reason I, I gave it that title is democracy is the key to regulation. In fact, it's the application of democracy to the economic system. People don't think about that. They say, oh, government regulate. You know, Reagan started this, you know, we're here from the government to help you. It's a lie. You know, it's like, oh, wait a minute. 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt created an amazing power system in America. And by the way, a lot of it is socialized. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but, you know, most of our big power operations like Bonneville Power, Tennessee Valley Authority, et cetera, these are government, these are government agencies mm-hmm. which do a terrific job. And then you also have about 40% of households belong to not-for-profit um, not for profit cooperatives, electric cooperatives set up by FDR, or publicly owned systems like Seattle Light. Um, and uh, even in uh, Texas, though it's a, unfortunately it's an island, is um, is Austin, for example, is publicly owned. But they're kind, of, but they're an island within an island, so they're kind of stuck when the rest of the state shuts out the lights. But yes, we have a chance um to you know we have to consider and in fact here in california one of the great tragedies and one of the great problems with uh, our governor newsom is that we've had a renegade power company pg&e which as you know has killed more than 100 people through its criminal negligence mm-hmm. not maintaining the system it's not just texas there's greed everywhere and the city of san francisco and city of san jose said why don't you let us take over the system you know, we basically introduced democracy to the system. And remember, if you're a politician and you run the electric system and those lights go out or the rates go through the roof, you're not going to get reelected. Democracy is a key part of regulating the power industry so it doesn't kill us. And, and Gavin Newsom has basically thrown his body across all attempts to take this renegade private system and make it public. And, and, um, you know, well, he might get recalled. I haven't heard anything for months about San Jose and San Francisco. So is it just stalled? or? Well, it's basically, I mean, with, without the governor's support, it's pretty much impossible okay. to take control of the system. They have to go through a really complex process. Now, one thing you should know is that when there was a renegade power company in New York called Long Island Lighting, which uh, had three million customers from New York to uh, and throughout Long Island, mm-hmm. And they had a, uh, a criminal enterprise called the Shoreham Nuclear Plant. When I say criminal enterprise, I ain't kidding. I worked for the Justice Department, and we took them to federal court and won a racketeering verdict against them for $4 billion. Put them out of business wow. and made it publicly owned. Mm-hmm. We dropped the rates. We, uh, companies used to have blackouts all the time. The blackouts stopped. The rates dropped by $400 million. And then some guy named Andrew Cuomo, uh, I can't remember whether he's a Republican or Democrat, either can he, um, <laughs> He reprivatized. He oh, reprivatized the public power system, which then, of course, immediately went to the dogs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, you can't just say it's those uh, white right wing um, uh, cow pie kickers in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a couple uh, Democrats who are still um, on the, you know, pleasuring corporations too. Sounds like money in politics and on yeah. with both parties. How did you know? We <laughs> talk about that on this program. The recklessness of it is just breathtaking and I think my favorite quote is from Colorado City, Texas Mayor Tim Boyd. The strong will survive and the weak will perish. So what's the problem? <laughs> what's the problem? The lawsuits are flying over this is also my understanding. I saw some reference to it in a news article. So 
You know, yes. I mean, there's there's dead bodies, and people are, you know, using the law to pursue that. So We did want to get into the scale of the problem, which is huge, but also we'd like to talk a little bit more about your cures, which is basically, as you mentioned, democracy. And then, if it's all right with you, we'd like to take some calls if people want to ask you something. Um, sure. Okay, so just before we go uh, open up the phone lines... Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your cure? Basically, it's democracy is what cures this. Yes, okay, so exactly. Democracy is a very good cure for many things, but especially our electric system woes. Because, again, you've got that one light wire going into your house. They've got you by the bulbs. And, you know, look, I put this in fancier terminology when I was writing the UN Guide to Regulation, but it's real simple. You open up the books. You let see people that these companies have to be open books. Let them, yeah, let them fix up the system. And, yes, the customers have to put in to fix up the system. But then you can't gouge us. You know, basically, these guys screw up their system. Think about it. They don't put money into their system. They pocket the money they're supposed to use for fixing up the system. The system goes down, and then the prices go through the ceiling because the system's down. Right? So they have this so-called free market. Well, basically, these guys can bring down the electric system and suck in billions for their willful negligence. It's an astonishing system. And, the, and again, the, the cure is democracy, which comes in three ways. Regulation, consumer ownership. In other words, cooperatives are very, very good way to run electric systems. Those are the cheapest and most reliable in the United States. And then thirdly is government ownership. You know, we don't think twice. We, we're, you know, in most places, you have government-owned water. We don't think about it. I'm here in Los Angeles. By the way, in Los Angeles, one of the biggest systems in the world, we are power and water, publicly owned. And when, you know, the rest of America is watching um, the middle of California burn with the lights off, California, L.A. was fine. I should take yeah. a moment to mention to, to local listeners here in the Mendocino County and remind them that uh, the city of Ukiah is part of a consortium of 16 government entity, entities uh, which constitute their own uh, their own power authority. Part, it's called NCPA, Northern California Power Authority, I think it's called, and our agency. And, uh, and the rest of the county is in PG&E territory. And what you just said a minute ago, Greg, is exactly what, uh, what, what PG&E did. They just they deferred maintenance for decades, passing the savings along to investors, and then waited for the system to collapse when it was needed yes, during and the fires. How many and, times do we have to do this, Governor Newsom? He says, if they don't get their act together, well, excuse me, they've ripped us off, given away their money, gone into bankruptcy court, twice. Uh, we've had massive deadly fires from their negligence. Exactly. What do you mean? Imagine if, uh, if someone, if you have an arsonist or even just someone out of negligence and your house burns down, you lose your family. They just say, well, I'm going to just give that electrician another chance. You know what I mean? He better do it right next time. And then he kills your next family. And you say, well, just one more chance. That's the Governor Newsom policy, and that's the problem, is that, it, and you've got a big problem, for example, you had Jerry Brown's sister was on the board of, uh, like, Southern California Edison, mm -hmm. uh, Southern California Gas, and, um, you know, just too many 
ugly little connections between the politicians. I say we sell off the systems to the public instead of selling off the public to the to the electric system. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Okay, we're going to take a moment to mention, first of all, the number to call here is 895-2448 to get in on the conversation. And before we get our first caller, let me mention that we are in the middle of our spring quiet drive that's happening right now. And as you know, KZYX provides emergency information, local news, national news, and a whole gamut to all of us here in the county. If you appreciate the important programming here, please... uh, Call and make a donation, either by calling here at 895-2324 or going to our website, kzyx.org, and just use the red Donate button. And you can always send a check made out to KZYX to P.O. Box 1 in Philo, California, 95466. And let's take a call. That's one of the things we like to do is connect our listeners with stars like you, Greg. You're on. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. You're on the air. Please ask your question and oh, make a statement. Oh, well, I just wanted to leave a comment. Okay. I just heard about Gavin Newsom. Uh, I'm, I don't know if anybody out there is aware that Gavin Newsom's mansion that he lives in right now was given to him by China for $3 million. We also, I also know that Gavin Newsom is Nancy Pelosi's nephew. He was put into office for some ungodly reason. Mm. We need to get some people who will help us regain California. California is the fifth largest economic um, state in the world. So we need to take our California back. I love California. I'm a born and raised Californian. And I want our state of California to come back to where we really love it and not be so hurt by the politics of it. Thank you very much, and you have a great day. Thanks for your call. Mm, Thank you. Well, hey, well, that was a comment. <laughs> I, just, I don't tell people who to vote for. <laughs> I just, just the facts, ma'am, and then you make your own decisions. So, I mean, I don't know about uh, who's Nancy Pelosi's cousin. I haven't investigated that, so I can't tell you whether that's for real. It could be. I have no idea. That's the first time I've heard of uh, that. We have any other? And but one thing, by the way, while people are listening and picking up the other call, I do hope you support your station. This is your weapon of mass instruction in <laughs> Northern California, and and I hope you appreciate hearing information you get absolutely nowhere else. That's why I'm happy to call into your program. I mean, I work all over the world in big outlets, but I love your station because it's 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 getting out the word where it needs to be local and wonderful. Please support your. Yes, please do. Appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, we appreciate the fact that you support the small stations, too. You are uh, welcome all over the world, you say, in big entities, and yet you make time for us. Here's another call. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, my daughter is from California, but she lives in New York, and she was just telling me last night that um, most people in New York had their heating paid for. Because once upon a time, the uh, way the buildings were built with radiators, um, that's, uh, that's the way it was instituted. But since um, they've, I guess, thought, I don't know why specifically, but um, they've been re- repurposing uh, or removing these radiators and... Um, uh, putting in electric 
And all of the new buildings now have the electric. So that more and more people are going to have to be paying for their heat. But it used to be once upon a time in New York where everybody had their heat paid for. Yes, I remember that because I I lived in this great palace. I did live in New York for a while, and, of course, landlords paid the the heat because it was steam heat radiators. And uh, and so, once again, the issue is um, who controls? Who controls? In in New York, there's a lot of uh, rent control, but what landlords want to do is get out of it by saying, well, we're supposed to include the heat, but now now you're going to (laughs) pay. So it's a matter of... Again, a battle within our political system. It's not an energy question. It's a political question. In the case of, again, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'd hate to be the guy piling on Andrew Cuomo at this moment, but the truth is is that he was very close to real estate developers and has been working at chipping away those tenant protections, which we have. But that's, you know, so in in New York it's an unusual situation. But, again, it's, it's a political fight, and the answer the answer to that is get involved in your democracy. You know, pick a better governor or, you know, uh, put the pressure on the mayor. And you also have um, a, you know, public service commission in New York, which is stronger than in uh, Texas for sure, or even California. And um, so that's the solution is, once again, democracy, take part. Okay, and we're almost out of time with our half hour with you. And um, some, some people can help by going to Turn Toward Utility Rate Normalization. And they can also find a lot more about everything on gregpalace.com. You are a breadth of information, Greg. Your background is so broad. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Live long enough. Okay, keep, okay, keep the lights on. Thank you and, very much. Uh, the only way to keep the lights on, by the way, is donate right now. That's right. Make the call. Bye. Okay. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. And that's 895-2324 to donate live here by phone, or you can go to kzyx.org and use the red Donate button. Yeah, so we have public affairs shows where you can actually call in and tell our guests what you think and ask them questions. A lot of them have a great deal of expertise. So... Um, do it. <laughs> Go to uh, our website, kzyx.org, and look for that little square red thingy in the top that says donate. And we're going to go to our next guest. Who might that be, Steve? That might be Aaron Sherb. And we'll be talking about the For the People Act. That's H.R. 1 and S. 1. The uh, bill in Congress has uh, been passed from the House to the Senate, so it's now being called S. 1 in the Senate. That's the most significant voting rights and democracy improvement bill in more than half a century. So I'll do the formal intro in just a minute. Yeah, it's huge. Okay, stay tuned.
that's a little bit of Tom Ganong, our local musician composer. And for the second half of today's program, we'll look at a bill in Congress that's called the For the People Act, labeled HB1 and S1 in the House and Senate, respectively. This bill is referred by its proponents. It's referred to as the most significant voting rights and democracy improvement bill in more than half a century, which refers to the mid-1960s when the Voting Rights Act was passed. 56 years ago. So with us to discuss the bill is Aaron Sherb, Director of Legislative Affairs for Common Cause, where he helps craft and gain support for various good governance proposals, primarily related to campaign finance reform, voting rights, redistricting reform, and ethics lobbying reform. Aaron also coordinates advocacy activities with members of Congress and their staff by helping plan and speak at congressional briefings and press conferences. His work has been cited in the <clears throat> New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Detroit Free Press, and that list goes on. <clears throat> His uh, MAs uh, in government from John Hopkins University and BA in political science before that. So let's have a look at HB1, now S1 in the Senate, and what it might do for voting rights and democracy improvement. Aaron Sherb. Welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. Yes, it's great that you take the time to be with us. Uh, this is a huge subject. When they say it's comprehensive, they aren't kidding. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention and get your take on it is that Republicans actually say that they're trying to suppress the vote because they couldn't win a popular vote. And I find that just exquisite that there doesn't seem to be anything stealthful about this. They're just flat out going to try to keep people from voting. Yeah, well, so the, the For the People Act, you know, H.R. 1 and S. 1, is, you know, has some monumental just transformational reforms in it that have passed at the state and local level in a number of localities around the country. And so, you know, automatic voter registration, which is in more than 20 states now, same-day voter registration, online voter registration, <clears throat> uh, provisions that would stop uh, arbitrary voter purges, are just some of the key reforms in the bill. And, you know, it's just you know, Republicans, both in, in Congress and especially in state legislatures, as they introduce and pass more and more voter suppression bills, are really just making the case for, for the For the People Act, H.R. 1 and S. 1, on a, on a, a daily basis. Huh. Yeah, okay. So the, the, the fight is on here to suppress the vote on one hand and to make it easier to vote on the other. And it does seem to be broken down in political parties here, at least I don't think all Republicans feel that way, but it seems like the representatives of the Republicans do. So it's it really is a battle, and, and we lost this battle once before, I believe, this uh, uh, Voters' Rights Act was introduced, and it was stopped by uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate. So you want to tell us a little bit about that misfire? Sure. So... H.R. 1, the For the People Act, has been, this is the second Congress it's been introduced. Um, it passed the House in 2019 um, with unified Democratic support um, and the support of all uh, Democratic senators. Um, however, it was blocked by Mitch McConnell. You know, he's, you know, continues to tell lies and, um, and just untruths about the bill. 
Uh, and so, you know, this Congress with a more reform-minded Senate in place and a more reform-minded uh, White House, we think the prospects are, are that much better. There, you know, it'll still be an uphill battle, um, but we think it's, there's definitely a path forward for the For the People Act, this Congress, with a, again, more reform-minded Senate and White House in place now. So you think this time is a charm. Uh, I know it's, it's very close, right? If there is uh, any Democrat that bails, we're going to have the same thing happen again. That's how close it is? Sure. Yeah, well, so all, you know, S-1 is going to be introduced in the Senate uh, soon. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a hearing scheduled for the Senate Rules and Administration Committee coming up on March 24th, and it'll be introduced uh, before then with... Uh, nearly all, if not all, Senate Democrats as co-sponsors. Um, and so then it's, you know, it'll have a hearing and a markup, and then you know, hopefully on the floor after that, you know, however, there's still the filibuster rule to, to get over. So uh, Senate Democrats will have to figure out, have to figure out some way to, to get past that. So there's, there will have to be a somewhat of a family discussion to uh, figure out how to get this through the, uh, across the finish line, because it, it presumably can't be done through a process called reconciliation that was just used to pass the um, COVID relief package. Oh, you said the the F word, filibuster. (laughs) The other F word. I know that this goes back and it's so tied to slavery. It's just excruciating. I think there was a case in the 1890s or something where there was a Voters' Rights Act for African Americans and it it was stopped by a filibuster. So if we're going to have a hard time getting the Voting Rights Act through, we're going to have to find a way to around the filibuster, and that's going to be almost as hard. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll come down to having a family discussion in the Senate Democratic Caucus about you know how to get how to get this done. I mean, yeah, there are a number of options being discussed, uh, but I think that you know the best the Republicans are really pr- providing fodder for that. You know, they at their you know, CPAC conference. But a week and a half ago, they they were railing against HR one and the for the for the people act, and you know, state uh, Republican state legislatures as they continue to pass um, restrictive uh, vote suppression bills. You know, that's providing the really an impetus for for uh, Democrats to get this done. And look, like this might only be approved by. Democrats in, in Congress, but it, it really is a bipartisan or nonpartisan issue. I mean, there are Democratic, Republican, independent voters around the country who support the reforms in the For the People Act. You know, many of the reforms in the, the bill have already, you know, they're tried and true tested reforms that have, have passed with, with strong bipartisan support in state legislatures or on the ballot when uh, when they go before uh, voters on through the initiative process. So it's really only in Washington where these issues are seen as partisan. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, I think my favorite of all the um, voter suppression things has got to be what just happened in Georgia, where they made it against the law to give pizza to people standing in line to vote. <laughs> A felony. <laughs> Is that was that real? Did that really happen? I'm sorry. Say it again. It oh, for did, a second. did that really happen, or is that a joke? So, please repeat the first part of your question. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm just very bemused by the news that in Georgia it was made a law mm. that you cannot give pizza or water to people waiting in line to vote. Yeah, it's a it's appalling. You know that. Um, you know, 
trying to eliminate um, curbside voting efforts, you know, trying to you know, eliminate, you know, quote-unquote, like, souls at the polls for um, for churches that, that do voter drives on, on Sundays after after church. Like, it's just appalling the, the level that Republicans are, are stooping to. And, you know, I think there was, you know, they occasionally say the quiet part out loud today. There was a, a congressman who, who basically said, like, look, we don't want everybody to vote. Um, and they, they said basically that they need fewer people to vote to, in order to win. And uh, there was a Supreme Court, a case that was argued before the Supreme Court um, from Arizona uh, last week in which the the, um, the person who's arguing for the Republican side said basically Republicans would be at a disadvantage if, if more people voted. So, they're again, they occasionally say the quiet part out loud sometimes. Okay, yeah, so... Amazing. How rare to, to, to hear it actually spoken. There's a quote here I have from the from an article about uh, about that event. It says that the U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday, that's a week ago, or a week or two ago, an attorney for the Republican National Committee admitted GOP candidates need voter suppression laws, especially those that target minorities, to win. It's to remain competitive. Yeah. yeah. How about, how about yeah. better so ideas? Not even trying to hide what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing to me, but there it is. It's really out front, but still it is this huge battle. Oh, one of the things, you did mention some of the things in this, but the, they're calling it bold and comprehensive for a reason, <laughs> because there is a lot of stuff in here. Um, you mentioned a few of them. Maybe we should talk about how comprehensive this is. I mean, it, it addresses gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. The, one of the key provisions in the in the bill, and this is an, an issue that Common Cause has worked on for many years, and we're able to help successfully pass the Independent Registering Commission in California. And that's what the the language in uh, the For the People Act is modeled off of California system. And so it, it would um, ensure that all states would have independent registering commissions, so that uh, voters could choose their elected officials instead of uh, uh, politicians kind of cherry picking their voters. Um, and so. You know, especially now that we're in a kind of a, a districting cycle with the census having just com- been completed um, with reapportionment of all the, the districts from around the country, um, you know, Republicans are already in the process of trying to, to gerrymander, you know, to use the political lines to their advantage to draw maps that would, would lock in districts for them over the next 10 years. You know, Democrats aren't completely uh, blameless on this practice either, but it's you know, Republicans certainly have a, uh, a bigger advantage and have, have much more have done much more recent uh, kind of partisan and, and racial gerrymandering. Um, and so HR1 would ensure that all states would have independent redistricting commissions in place for, uh, for the next redistricting cycle. And my understanding from reading news is that the um, independent redistricting committees is supported by people from both parties. Can you confirm that? Is that uh, your understanding? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, independent redistricting commissions are extremely popular mm-hmm. uh, among the populace. And so, you know, just for example, just a couple other states passed independent redistricting commissions in uh, 2018 by ballot initiative. So, mm-hmm. for example, in Colorado, um, both initiatives passed for congressional and state legislative districts for uh, have them drawn by independent commissions. So mm-hmm. the, both of those measures passed in 2018 with over 70% of the, the vote. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's rare to have 
uh, policies that are supported by by that high of a uh, level of the the population. So it, it really is bipartisan or nonpartisan. Um, again, it's, it's only really in Washington where these issues are, are seen as partisan. I should remind listeners that the uh, not every state has the initiative process, and I forget how many do right at the moment. But uh, but you know, that's about very twenty five or so. Oh, so about half. Very roughly half. Okay, uh, so they can actually do that uh, by initiative, and the others can it has to be done through the legislature. Okay, yeah, so. but you know it's challenging because you know a, n- a number of states have made uh, the initiative or kind of uh, um, referendum process that much more challenging to mm-hmm. to qualify for. And so, as as we've been successful passing ballot initiatives in, in recent years, you know certain states are trying to to make it harder to qualify. So mm-hmm. that's just yet another another challenge. Yeah. So that's really an important thing that the states would have independent redistricting commissions. I think California does, and that might be a model. Yes. That yeah. So in some other states as well. So that would be that would be great yeah. if they all states did that. That would do away with these weird looking <laughs> districts that cut yeah. out cut out the majority of the voters. Um, yeah, and more so, yeah, just that, and then just you know, keeping communities of interest together. You know, I think there's a, you know, in Common Cause, we sued um, in North Carolina because it, it split, um, you know, university, a historically black college university, um, uh, HBCU had split right down the middle of campus to, into two different districts, uh-huh. and that was part of our um, litigation there. It was called Rucho versus Common Cause, which made its way to the Supreme Court, and, you know, Unfortunately, didn't win that case, but it still it kind of just drew a spotlight on the the kind of this craziness of how how lines can be drawn just to divide right through the middle of a, a college campus and how that diluted the vote and voices of of, uh, of many African American students there. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. So then, in addition, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here about making it easier to vote. One uh, is election day holiday for federal workers. Yes. And then um, there's other things like that to make it easier to vote. Yeah, so the election day holiday is is in there is in HR one as as well. There are also you know, expanded. Um, it requires 15 days of early voting to be included. Um, it ensures that people can vote by mail. You know, a lot of the changes that states made during the pandemic were, were temporary, and so trying to make sure that that. Um, Citizens, eligible voters in all states can can vote by mail, as as tens of millions of Americans did this this past year. You know, something that could really benefit a lot of, of voters as well. You know, five states, um, you know, in the West have do basically all all voting by mail anyway. So just trying to expand that to ensure that all voters have that option as well is extremely popular. It also bans you know, voter purges, as a number of states have, have tried to do. Um, it also bans states from, um, you know, some states have tried to ban curbside voting. So it, it, <clears throat> it would overturn those prohibitions as well. So there's some kind of number of defensive provisions, but also uh, kind of proactive provisions. Uh, uh, provisions as well that we talked about a little bit at the beginning, like automatic voter registration, same-day voter registration, and um, online voter registration, you know, all of which would, would certainly save states money in the long run. Mm-hmm. And then one that's very popular among people here locally is uh, paper ballots for federal elections. Yes, yeah, and that's, you know, especially with the Russian interference and in the 2016 and the 2018 elections, you know, having that voter-verified paper ballot um, requirement is so critical. Um, we just 
just to help guard against any sort of kind of infiltration or, or hacking attempts. You know, just having that um, that paper ballot um, is so key to to instill confidence in, in the election, and you have to make sure that that uh, you know cause a number of states still have electronic voting machines, and some of them are connected to the internet. So just having that that um, that backup or that verification step is, is so key to instilling confidence in our elections. I should slip in the comment that uh, the effort to have paper ballots has been a sort of pro-democracy uh, intent for, for decades and uh, certainly was a hot issue back in the 2004 election particularly. But, uh, but what couldn't be accomplished through the political process was accomplished through the COVID process. So <laughs> without, it's the only thing I know of that's, you know, good that happens, you know, with the, with the pandemic. And, uh, and paper ballots uh, were used uh, last year, last year uh, a lot more than in previous years and um, very successfully. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what, you know, a number of states that, that, that had um, temporary um, vote-by-mail programs, you know, we're trying to get them extended, and that's what, you know, HR1 would, would do. Mm-hmm. It would ensure that, that voters have this option of, of voting by mail in, in all states, not just if they have an excuse or not just mm-hmm. if, they're, if they're sick, but just having this be an option. Again, just giving voters more choices, whether they want to vote early or vote vote by mail or vote curbside or vote in person on election day, you know, just giving voters uh, the maximum number of choices possible. And it's hacking because more and more crazy, I think, the the paper ballots put people more at ease, too, because they can be counted. We... Yes. uh, We have time for a few calls if uh, callers would like to... uh, Ask anything online here. The number is 895-2448. And once again, a reminder that we're in our spring quiet drive here for the station. And so uh, if you can donate to the uh, station, please do so at the website, kzyx.org. Just use the red donate button. Or you can call in if you like at 895-2324 or mail a check to P.O. Box 1 in Philo at zip nine five four six six i think one place where the hr1 has actually run into trouble was the aclu of all people or all organizations uh is in some of the campaign finance reform provisions do you want to talk a little bit about that sure yeah so the aclu has had some long-standing ideological concerns about uh, some of the disclosure provisions in the in the bill uh you know, I think it's, you know, we might just have to agree to disagree with them. You know, we work with them closely on, on other issues, on many voting issues, but um, they've had somewhat of a shift over, over the years, and they've, um, but yeah, I think there's just some, still some longstanding concerns they had about the disclosure provisions um, and just equating money with speech, which common cause, and many, uh, mil- tens of millions of Americans just have a different approach on. Um, and so the uh, the Disclose Act would, would ensure that Voters can understand who's trying to influence their their voices and their votes um, to ensure that you know just the dark money organizations can't spend secret money in politics to try to um, to try to sway elections or try to sway um, uh, legislation. And so it's you know we think of them as common sense solutions that are contained in the Disclose Act. Um, is that that's the provision in the the bill that I think ACA has the concerns with. You know, I will note that there are many constitutional scholars who have pushed back against the ACLU's concerns, and actually some 
In fact, some former ACLU officials, some high-ranking officials from the ACLU, have uh, written a letter actually supporting the those very same provisions in the HR one. Um, so that you know, I think there's not a clear-cut um, uh, agreement on, on that, even within ACLU. Um, and they don't actually oppose the bill. They're just critical of organizations having to disclose certain donors or uh, restrictions on foreign money. I think it was those two things that I noticed in particular. Um, Correct. And yeah, there are protections in there as well for, for potential donors or organizations that could face harassment in there as well. So there, there, um, there are protections in there for, for um, you know, just protecting confidential information as well. well. Here's one of the finance reform things in HR1 that I love. Requires president and vice president candidates to disclose their income tax returns. Yes. Yeah, you know, as your listeners probably know, you know, major party presidential candidates for, um, you know, dating back for decades had, had disclosed their their uh, tax returns, you know, up until President Trump um, failed, to do, failed to do so, you know, candidate Trump and then President Trump. Um, and so, you know, we think it's just a, a common sense uh, solution that, uh, you know, you know it's, it's just been a political norm that, that all presidential party candidates had, had done, you know, until President Trump, and he obviously broke a whole lot of uh, political norms, so I think just trying to codify that so um, so Americans get a sense of kind of any potential conflicts of interest or um, uh, potential, you know, problems that, that the presidential candidate could have, and just, you know, making sure that those candidates are doing the bidding of, of everyday Americans instead of trying to line one's, on po- line one's pockets, I think is critical, just a critical transparency provision. So that's, yeah, we were very happy that that provision was included in the For the People Act. And I think it addresses some other rules, uh, quote-unquote, that Trump has broken, too, doesn't it, about uh, monetizing the presidency? Yeah, there, so in the... Um, for the executive branch provisions, there are a number of, of ones that kind of to strengthen revolving door provisions to ensure that you know that you can't kind of go between government and the private sector. You can't line line one's pockets. You know that you have to disclose certain conflicts of interest before um, working at a presidential administration as well. And so, yeah, we saw you know near daily scandals from from many of his. You know, cabinet and sub-cabinet level appointees, as well as other executive branch officials. So this tries to kind of tighten that and, and try to prevent that um, some of those scandals from happening again. This is uh, amazing. It's all these things that we should have are in here. Um, there's also a HR4. Do you want to tell us what that is? It's a little bit related, I guess. Yeah, so just in the uh, 2013, in the Shelby County versus Holder decision, the U.S. Supreme Court um, struck down a key component of the Voting Rights Act. And so, you know, H.R. 4, which has been renamed the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act, would kind of reestablish those preclearance formula, that preclearance formula. Um, So, for example, it applied to a a number of mostly southern states, but a few other jurisdictions outside the South as well. So when they, when jurisdictions would uh, change a polling location or close a polling location or switch from a um, uh, single-member district to an at-large district, they had to get sign-off from the Department of Justice, um, you know, largely because these, it was determined that these jurisdictions had, had 
done made these changes in the past for discriminatory reasons. And so, you know, very simply, you know, H.R. 4, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act, would, would reestablish a preclearance formula for figuring out you know, which jurisdictions have had a history of, of making discriminatory, discriminatory voting changes and just reestablishing that, um, that those provisions that were struck down by the Supreme Court in 2013. And so, you know, H.R. 4 is not it's not part of HR one. It's it's separate from it, just because it we want to try to develop um, additional, you know, bolster the record to to try to be to try to address the Supreme Court decision from from 2013. So they're you know they're on kind of parallel tracks, if you will. You know, a lot of people in Mendocino County and California have been active in uh, getting out the vote nationwide. Some of our local Democrats uh, actually went to Georgia and others went by phone. Uh, what are some of the things that people can do through common cause to take action to see that H.R. 1 succeeds? Yeah, well, that you know, I'd encourage you know, any of your listeners who are interested you know, to go to Common Cause's website. You know, it's www.commoncause.org, and they're able to sign up for doing phone banking, for doing text banking, uh, for drafting a letter to the editor. It's very simple. Just do two or three clicks, and you could submit letters to the editor of your local paper to encourage your uh, representatives or senders to support the before the People Act, and you know the California congressional delegation, for the most part, is is very strong. You know, in terms of supporting the Before the People Act, but um, you know, certainly common causes, phone banks and text banks. You know, can you can call, you can quickly call or text people in other states to kind of quickly connect them with their representatives or senders there um, who may not support the For the People Act yet. And so, you know, if they go to commoncause.org, you can sign up for those um, volunteering opportunities there as well. The other thing I thought that was kind of interesting is uh, there's a little um, resource there where you can check out messages and graphics that are convenient to share on social media that can make the points of why HR1 is important. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with all with so many people on social media now, you know, with all elected officials having you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram accounts now, you know, connecting with them or getting um, getting their attention through social media has has been another very effective advocacy tool that that we've used in the in in a number in previous years as well. Okay, we are flat out of time. I want to thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Great. Thanks so much, Annie and Steve, for having me on your show this evening. Okay, pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks. And you'll be listening to Corporations and Democracy, broadcast here on Second Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. And Annie and I will return on Thursday, April 8th. And for further information about what you can do to correct the corporate dominates of our democracy, go to www.thealliancefordemocracy.org. Thanks for listening. First you told us only. Through you could we know God, and if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod. For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors, for you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. 
Thanks for listening. Sacrifice the public good for your private gain. With our sweat, we built the railroads, built cities on these shores. But because you own the money, you see that it's all yours. We laid the phone lines and the pipelines, and then right before our eyes, you see these things are taxes paid for. You now will privatize. Privatize the hospitals, privatize the schools, privatize the prisons for all those who break your rules and preparing for the day. When all the wells run dry, you say you own the very rain that falls down from the sky, but it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who'd own the water all around the earth, our future is your downfall, only got this ball and shame. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. You claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds. You claim to own the genomes of every animal that breeds. You claim to own our culture and the music that we play. And with each song that we download to your coffers, we must pay. You'd even own my name and you'd say it's for the best. Maybe you'll let us on your radio and our songs can pass your test. You own country, you own western. You say you've given us a choice. You may own the airwaves, but you'll never own my voice. It's the commons, our right of birth.